Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toller. But we bring a lot of fresh ideas and, and alternative solutions to problems that heretofore PEOs really haven't been introduced to. So our innovative thinking, our creativity has really been, been a, a key advantage for us. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the PEO podcast. Today, I'm spending time with Jim O'Connor. Jim is a national practice leader for the PEO consulting practice at Cebus. We'll chat about master health plans, sales, and attracting new talent as we begin to emerge from the pandemic. Tell us something unique about you that your team at Cebus maybe doesn't know about you. Probably what they don't know about me, most don't know about me, is that I have five dogs and two cats. And so animals now officially outnumber uh, the members of my family. Uh, but um, yeah, we just added our fifth dog. So we've got a lot of rescues. And so that's probably a, a, an item that uh, most people at Cebus don't know about me. We're a big dog and, and pet people in our family. Um, are the cats and dogs getting along? <laughs> they do, <laughs> interestingly enough. They, they, they absolutely do. I can't say the same about my daughters, but, but definitely the cats and dogs do. Well, having two kids of my own here, I can, I can certainly relate to that. Um, <laughs> sure. So, so um, Jim, tell us about your, 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 your journey in the industry. How did you get to the point where you're right now? Yeah, sure. So I came into the health insurance industry in 1987 as an underwriter at when the Prudential Insurance Company was in health insurance. And then I went from the insurance carrier side, came out to the brokerage consulting side, started working with PEOs as a benefits consultant to them in the mid-90s. And then my partners and I sold our firm to CBiz in 2009. And I've had various leadership roles uh, in CBiz uh, throughout those years. And I presently am, uh, enjoy the, the role of national practice leader for the PEO and association consulting practice at CBiz. And, and what specifically fascinates you about the PEO market, right? What are some of the things that, that you're really passionate about? Two really things come to mind. One is they're serving small employers for the most part, right? Well, they typically serve employers that have less than 100 employees, very often less than 50. And so they think the average is probably about 20, 25 if you look at the PEO industry. So small employers would drive America's economy. Right. So if we can do more and more to help small employers be efficient and profitable, that's good for the entire country. It's, it's, it's really important. So that is is real important to me from a mission perspective. And then from a pure business dynamic perspective, I just love the whole outsourcing model. Like I just do. I think that if we can free up businesses to do what they do best, whether it's selling widgets or servicing this or selling that, and, and then pull all of the routine, mundane, and regulatory compliance administrative functions out of their shop and into a PEO, I think that's really a great economic uh, equation. 
you and I we we discussed in, in our preparation session, uh, um, you know, the, the concept of the medical master plans within the PO concept, right? <clears throat> and maybe we start off like you know, for for somebody who might not be as familiar with with that topic, like how would you uh, explain the concept and 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 what kind of advantages um, do PEOs typically see? Sure. So as any small employer thinks about kind of what are the benefits, you know, comp and benefits they're providing to their employees, health insurance is always an important part of that. And so our country is plagued with, you know, escalating costs in health insurance. We haven't solved this problem. And so in small employers are very, very challenged by being able to get affordable health programs for their employees. So a PEO is an outlet for them to ideally get access to broader, better, more affordable coverage. And, and why is that? Because the PEO, right, think about what it's what it's doing. It's aggregating thousands of small employers into a larger employer. And then as a larger employer, instead of me being, say, a single employer with 20 employees, I join a PEO and they've got 20,000 employees. So them buying a health insurance plan at 20,000 employees is going to afford them options and, and designs and pricing access that would not be available to me at 20 employees, right? So, so that whole aggregation uh, is what the master plan is about when you join a PEO and their master health plan. So, so you outlined the advantages from the employer side, right? As a small group, how about from the PO side, right? If if I decide to to go that right route and, and offer a master medical plan, what are some of the advantages that I get from the PO's perspective? Sure, as a PEO, um, the primary advantage to providing a well-run, affordable master health plan or it be master dental or life and all the ancillary coverages. So you as the PEO providing your master plan, your benefits, the advantage is, is to be market competitive, right? You want to be bringing to these smaller and mid-sized employers as many opportunities for better purchasing power, pricing, design, access that they can't get on their own, right? So if I'm a PEO and by the very fact that I have this mass covered population and I'm coming to you as a small business owner, uh, I'm showing you my payroll services, my administrative services, my technology, but they're going to ask, hey, can you do anything for me on my benefits? Can you get me my benefits more affordably? So, so as a PEO, if I am able to have a successful, well-run, well-designed master health plan, that can be a real advantage for me. But it's not without its challenges as well. So, so now let, let's say uh, the, the leadership team of a PO gets together and, and you're doing some some work with them. Uh, you know, as, as a PO might think about uh, adding a, a medical master plan to that portfolio. What what are typical decision making criteria that uh, the PO should be thinking about? Well, the first thing is you have to have scale, right? So, so if you've just got a few hundred or even just a few thousand, you know, worksite employees, you have to be able to scale. You have to you have to be able to grow it. And and the 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 big challenge is that there are only a handful of health insurance carriers that are are open to doing PEO master plans and some regional carriers as well, but they're very selective. 
So if I'm the PEO and I don't have a master plan today and, I, and I'm interested in getting one, I need to be really cognizant of how to best position myself with those insurance carriers so they want me as, as a client. And you mentioned that there's a scaling effect, right? Um, generally speaking, they're obviously always, uh, from what sizing perspective would it make sense for a PO? Um, you know, how many lives do I need to cover in order for this to be even like interesting? Sure. So as you kind of framed it up, there's no hard and fast answer to that question. And when you ask the insurance carriers that, it's always the question they hate. They want it. They want to shy away from it because they don't want to feel like they're not, they don't want to give the perception they're not open for business. But here's the reality. You better have, you know, at least 1,500 to 2,000 employees, maybe 2,500 worksite employees before you even go to the table and, and start talking about that. Now, again, the number of employees is, is one piece of the discussion, but you might have a very interesting niche that you're in as a PEO. And it might be an industry vertical. It might be a geographic and industry vertical. It might be you're only going after employers of over a certain size. So there are other mitigating factors that will change that, that number that I just gave you. But if someone said, hey, don't give me any of those other criteria, just generally speaking, what's the number I should be at before I try to go to the table with, with one of the major carriers? You should be around that 2,500 employee mark at a minimum. So Jim, you're essentially in your role, you're kind of in, in between, right? The, 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 the PO and then you, you work with the carriers. Um, and and you, you mentioned that not all carriers are open to, to these uh, concepts. Give us a secret sauce here. What, what is like from, from the carrier perspective, what are they looking at, right? If they evaluate, uh, and you alluded to some of these things, but like what, what is the process like and what, what is the carrier interested in seeing? You know, it's interesting, Andreas. I think that you'll appreciate that a lot of it starts with real non-health insurance criteria. It's, it's looking at the business itself. It's looking at the PEO itself, the leadership. You know, are they either highly professional? How do they manage their business, right? Are they financially very strong? You know, their workers' comp plan, do they run it well? Is risk management important to them? What is their business strategy? What is their growth strategy? Um, are they a take all comers, really don't care who their clients are, just, just take anybody? Or are they selective? Do they have their own underwriting approach to, to bringing on their clients? You know, so, so from a business perspective, the insurance carriers want to make sure that, because these become partnerships, right? When you're a PEO and you now have a master health plan with one of these carriers, They want to make sure that you are a good partner for them being, you know, being cognizant of bringing in good business, right? And so, so the secret sauce is to be able to demonstrate to that insurance carrier decision-making team that I will be a good partner, that I as the PEO, I have the right people, the right processes in place to, to manage a master health plan. I've got the right growth strategy so that You can see the future that I'm going to be adding thousands of employees over the course of time, and it's adding profitable employees. That'll be good risk, not you know anybody, right? And 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 that it's not just about the people and processes internally, but you know you know 
self-plug here, right? Are you using the right consultants, the right underwriting tools and teams outside that are knowledgeable about master plans, know how to construct and manage them? And so those are the things that you, you better have those boxes checked before you get to the table to have the discussion. And, and it's like as if you were looking at making an acquisition of a company. You're going to look at the character and, and, the, and the management team. You're going to look at the business management style and structure and the growth plan. Well, think of the insurance company. They're looking at a partner and you'd be able to better bring all those things to them. That's an interesting comparison, right? Like uh, the, the M&A, the acquisitions, right? And you know, oftentimes you see that uh, companies that are you know, active on the M&A side, they kind of have their playbooks, right? Or their uh, frameworks, right? You, know, you look into the finance balance sheet and whatnot. You look into culture. You look at different KPIs and whatnot. Does something like that exist, like, like, a, like a clear framework that you work through with, with your clients um, as they're preparing um, for, for the underwriting process? Is that a, a long process where you say like, hey, typically it's six to 12 months? Tell us more about that. How do, you, how do PEOs prepare for that underwriting process uh, to be ready? Yeah, I think you hit on it, right? You, you, you map out kind of the playbook, the checklist, you know, what I just verbalized and, and, and other criteria as well. And, and you do that, that SWOT analysis, right? In terms of strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats as it relates to the PEO itself. And where are they strong right now? Where do they have deficiencies? And if those deficiencies are addressable, how long will it take to address them? Examples might be, you know, that they're not large enough, right? And so they've got to, they've got to get larger. Um, or they might have weakness in their um, CFO, controller, finance department. So they've got to upgrade the personnel. So there's things like that. And so, Andreas, it's, it's going to be that time frame is going to be variable based upon what the starting point is for that PEO. But I think your six to 12 to 18 months is probably not unreasonable. Perfect. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, managing risk as, as one uh, important element. How should PEO think about prospects and new clients that come onto their platform in that context? As the PEO is doing field underwriting, right, they're looking again, similarly, the, the client's ability to pay their bills. They should be looking at, at again, the, the, the management team, the structure of that prospective employer coming onto the plan. What is their philosophy towards providing benefits? Does that employer provide benefits today? Are they contributing a meaningful amount towards the cost of the health insurance? which demonstrates it's important to them as part of their comp and benefit strategy to attract and retain talent, right? So, so that's the type of, of field underwriting that, that first and foremost they should be doing. And then there will be the more formal group health questionnaires where, where they're vetting the risk profile, the health risk profile of an employer. Um, and so those are the types of things that PEOs will do To, to look to screen out or, or attract the best risks into their master plan. So we talked a lot about the, you know the, the process and the, the 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 advantages for for the PO for the employer groups. If you look at the other side of the coin, so to speak, like are there certain instances where you say like you know a medical master plan is not the right fit for the PO outside of you, know, you talked obviously about the sizing. Are there other criteria where you say like hey this is probably not the best strategy to pursue. 
Oh, sure. So when you think about it, there's approximately 900 or some odd, you know, PEOs in the country and less than 10% of them have a master health plan. So you think about that, right? You've got about 900 some odd PEOs and about 80 or so have a master health plan. So what are the rest of them doing, right? So you have to solve for it if you really want to be in the game. So not every employer, not every PEO is going to have master plan as a solution, right? If I'm an employee, if I'm a PEO with a master plan and I'm vetting my employer groups coming in, employers that are not going to be a fit for the master plan might be somebody, again, like we said earlier, where the employer is not contributing much. So therefore, they've got low participation. Or maybe we we done the medical screening and they've got a few significant claims. So we don't want to bring them into the master plan. So then we're going to do what we call open market. That's where you bring them to the traditional small group marketplace that's available in all the 50 states from all the insurance carriers. So you go open market, right? If I'm a if I'm a PEO that does not have a master plan, really, then then one of the only things available to me is master is open market or other specialty programs. Uh, such as Health Benefit Alliance, which is a program we have, or other type of alternative health programs that are available to to PEOs. The key is, if a PEO has a master plan, being thoughtful about which groups are the right fit for the master, and if not, having alternatives to pivot to, so they're still solving the health benefit need for that employer client. Yeah, it seems like a hybrid model there, right? And flexibility uh, can be really key. Uh, so thank you for, for these insight into the master medical plans. I want to um, shift our conversation a little bit and, and ask you specifically about CBIS in the PO world, right? What is, what is your unique value proposition to, to POs and how do you differentiate um, to some other players in the market? So what I'm most proud of is in the last three years, we've gone from having one PEO client to now we serve over two dozen PEO clients. And so, you know, that demonstrates a pretty rapid growth in a fairly short period of time. And, and the key to it has been, I would say, a few things. One is our innovative thinking. No disrespect to any of my competitors. There's some you know, tremendous ones out there. But we bring a lot of fresh ideas and, and alternative solutions to problems that heretofore PEOs really haven't been introduced to. So our innovative thinking, our creativity has really been been a, a key advantage for us. The other is our flexibility. We're not an all or nothing shop. We can be the consultant on a master plan and somebody else is doing the actuarial and risk underwriting work. We can do the risk and underwriting work and not be the consultant. We can do all your open market quoting, but not be involved in your master plan. Point being, we're very much an open architecture uh, firm. And so you pick and choose from our menu what it is that, that you need. So if you've got current partners that are serving you well, but there are gaps, we can fill the gaps. Or if you want us to displace a partner that maybe isn't serving you as well, we can do that as well. So we're very flexible in that respect. But to the other key area is we're very hands-on in then executing on the strategies that we are putting in place, particularly from a sales perspective. We will partner with the PEO's sales team and go to market with them and support them actually on sales calls when it comes time to discuss the benefit offerings and what the value proposition is for their clients out in the field. First of all, just very tactical. You said like you 
you can support your your PO clients with, with sales calls, right? Yeah, uh, medical offerings. Um, is are there any, any limitation to that? Does it have to be a certain size of, of the client, or how, how do you how do you typically structure that? No, to be honest, we tell our PO clients whether it's two employees or two thousand, uh, we'll support you on every sales call. Make us a part of your team. I talk about first chair, second chair all the time. My, my team that will hear this podcast will, will roll their eyes right now because I'm always talking first chair, second chair. And that PEO sales rep is first chair leading the call. It's his or her relationship. But we're second chair. We're the subject matter expert about the benefits. And so when it's time for that to be the topic discussed, that that's our, our role in that meeting. So, and you mentioned that, you know, over the years, you, you're, you're obviously working with, with a lot of like different PEOs here. And you mentioned that fresh ideas is important, right? Whether that's coming from from the PO or like, you know, from, from CBS, I would be interested in hearing like, what have you seen over the years? Um, what are certain concepts that our audience should think about, right? Certain things that you say like, hey, these three or four PEOs that are very successful in the market, have implemented successfully. Is there any any concept that um, you know we, we should be uh, thinking about here? Yeah, for sure. I, I would say that the, the first answer to the question is comprehensive in their in their approach. So so make sure that their offering is as well rounded as it as it can be. Don't leave any of the gaps that that could otherwise be filled by either product or services. So that that's kind of price of entry. That's basic. But here's the real answer to your question. So with that having been said, it's their positioning. It's their go-to-market positioning. Too many PEOs are still stuck in that product sale mindset, right? They feel like they're selling a product. That, that, that's a transactional nature of a sale. And I think, and I don't say this disrespectfully, but I think that comes out of the payroll selling mentality. PEO is more holistic, as we said at the top of the discussion. And so the, the most successful PEOs over the years have cracked the code on teaching their salespeople to sell value, service, and to be, and this is often an overused term in sales, but it's true, being consultative, listening to the buyer and what it is they're saying they need, and then solving for those needs, as opposed to come into the door and just selling product, product, product. So the most successful PEOs It's more about the messaging and their communication and how they go to market. Are there any resources that you can recommend our audience here, whether it's like, you know, certain sales seminars, a book about sales, about positioning, anything that, that comes to your mind? You know, I, I, I don't think it's out of the market yet. And, and uh, but I know that Jason Randall, the, the CEO of Questco, is coming out with a great book that I think is going to be uh transformative to the industry. I would also say that NAPIO has some great conferences. PACE, one of the other associations in the, in the industry, has, has uh, some informative uh, you know, conferences. And, and there are some tremendous uh, advisors out there. I think of John Sensui, I think of, of others. And again, Dan McHenry, I, I just think of other, there, there's a lot of tremendous uh, resources out there that have been in the industry and, and know the industry well that PEOs can take advantage of. Yeah, but what, what, what do you what do you think certainly resonates, right? If, if you think about uh, the best players, not even in the PO market, right? Uh, but holistically, often companies that, that have found their niche, right? They're very much known for, we are the, the PO company for, 
this region for this specific uh, vertical, right? And then your clients know, hey, you know, the partner really understands me here and, and, and can be, yeah, we can enter in a, in a really fruitful and successful relationship. You know, it's like anything else. You need to kind of vet through who the pretenders are versus who the folks are that really know what they're talking about. And that that's like any industry, right? That's like any business. Just like there's there's good PEOs, there's average PEOs, and there'll be bad PEOs. There's good consultants, average consultants, and bad consultants. There's good interviewers, bad interviewers, and 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 then there's you, you know, above uh, above the rest, Andreas. So, <laughs> um, so as as we are, you know, look looking now, we're in the second quarter. What are what are some of the the priorities that that you are currently discussing with a lot of your clients, right, uh, for the remainder of the year, uh, and 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 to get ready for you know what what we hopefully can call the the post pandemic world here uh, what are some strategic uh, initiatives there that you're currently working on it's daily now and multiple times a day the conversations are about the the significant ramping up of hiring and being ready for this this onslaught of hiring i i again i'm with peos every day on meetings and calls and i've got restaurant owners talking about hiring 90 people as soon as possible Trucking companies, you know, hiring, retailers hiring. So, so this reopening of our economy is very, very real. And so that's what the, the PEOs are ready, getting ready for. And what's key to that is employees are going to have choices. People that are now getting reemployed, they're going to have choices of where to work. And so having a robust benefit plan is going to be a very important part of it. Right. If I can get $15 an hour at three or four different places, but that one place is going to give me $15 an hour plus a really good health plan, that's where I'm going. Right. And so if I'm a PEO that can source that for its clients, right, that's going to be a competitive advantage. So, so all the conversations right now is how can we make our clients, the employer clients of the PEO, competitive in their attracting talent back to their workplace, back to their offices, back to their restaurants, back to their stores to be employed. It's going to be a real, it's going to be a war for talent right now. Yeah, it's interesting that that you say that. It's, it's, it seems to be a remarkable recovery here from an economic perspective, right? It's a little over a year ago, we we talked about recession, right? And, and now full employment in the United States is, is inside again. And, and to your point, Wolf Talent, how, how can you retain and attract the best talent, right? Um, this is certainly a hot topic, right, um, for, for a lot of us. Right, but but it's, it's really a great news story, but it can also be, it also presents opportunities to take advantage of, and if folks ignore it or don't prepare properly for it, they're not, they're going to lose out. They're going to be winners and losers, so the PEOs that are positioned for that are going to be the ones that, again, have the resources, the processes, and the benefit programming in place to capitalize on it. Yeah, and if, if, you're, if you're talking about trends, right, I mean, what, one of these, what would be hearing quite, quite frequently here is like attracting and retaining the best talent, right, now regardless of the um, location, right? That, yeah. that is certainly something that the, the, the pandemic has shown us, depending on the position and, and the job profile, remote work can work, right? And, and, and how can... PEOs uh, support their employers to do that effectively. Yeah, so certainly what we, we've all experienced that as one of the more positive aspects of coming out of a pandemic is the, the ability to be remote and still be productive. 
And so technology, right, it has to be the order of the day. PEOs that have not yet gotten as advanced technologically in, in all of their systems are finding they need to step that up. And, and whether it be onboarding technology, whether it be ongoing uh, employee management technology, communication technology, meeting technology, such as we're accustomed to now. So the PEO needs to be, can't be an impediment at, at, at a minimum, it has to be neutral in terms of not being an adverse environment for that workforce, but ideally being a positive uh, contributor to their efficiency, their effectiveness. And the other thing that the PEO can also uh, be cognizant of, and this comes back to the employee benefits dynamic, is what we've also, studies have now shown that people are not only more efficient, but they're working more hours by there not being a physical separation from their home and their workplace. So employee assistance program, mental health, stress management resources as part of a proper benefit strategy is more and more important. And so that's very real because you're not going to have necessarily everybody at the physical location where they're taking work breaks or taking lunch breaks they're physically away from work. You're not having that supervisory oversight to manage that and people will they'll be harsh on themselves. We need we need those type of mental health strategies to help people cope with this remote workforce environment. I, I couldn't agree more, right? I think your work from home, on the one hand, like, you know, it provides flexibility, right? And, and, and the employees don't have to commute potentially, right? But uh, th there's a flip side to that as well, right? So your point, studies show on that, like, people generally speaking work longer hours. Mental health is, is, a, is, a, is a very, very important component there, right? Because otherwise, like, your business and private life kind of, like, yeah, uh, merge together as one, right? And I think it's, it's important for the employers as well to, to have a separation and have a full, rich life. And, and it's shown that it's also not just a doing the right thing concept. You know, if you want to look at it from a practical dollars and cents perspective, the quality of work deteriorates, right? If people are just pushing volume and, and not taking breaks, any, any athlete, any actor, any professional will tell you that if you don't, slow it down and step away, then the quality of what you're doing deteriorates. Well, the same is happening with people that are just constantly working because it's to walk into their home office where their computer is five steps away is easy, but again, they're not always at their best. So we've got to be cognizant of how to manage that remote worker. You know, we at ThrivePass have come to the conclusion to we will we'll follow like a, a hybrid approach, right? We'll still keep our main hub offices here in the United States and Twin Cities uh, in Denver, but then also totally open for remote work, right? I think we have we have seen yeah, phenomenal talent coming on board because of that, right? But now the question obviously is how how do you how do you manage that that hybrid successfully, right? And uh, I think it will be important to fly people in for certain events right or, or travel a little bit more and spend time together here in the office specifically to build relationships i think innovation sometimes might be hard on zoom right might be a little bit easier to, yeah. to do in person so I, i think the next 12 to, to 40 uh, 24 months will be quite interesting right to see how how the work shifts and, and and what are the best models for this it's true and then again the peo's role in that will be to help facilitate support whatever direction that employer chooses to take, right? If you're a restaurant, right, you're not remote, <laughs> you know, it's physically in place, right? So you're going to have different industries with different needs. And as a PEO, how are you going to adapt to that diversity? 
Jim, thank you so much for, for your time today. It was a pleasure to have you on, on the show. And um, wh where can people find you if, if they want to learn more? Well, thank you, Andreas. It was great to be here. I enjoyed the conversation. Again, I can be reached at my email, which is joconnor, J-O-C-O-N-N-O-R at cbiz, cbiz.com, joconnor at cbiz.com. Uh, or you can find us on our website at www.cbiz.com. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is the PEO Podcast. We'll see you next time.